So one of the things that uh, most of us agree has not been a success, the new bail reform rules in Missouri that were announced about a year ago and then went into effect a little less than a year ago. And Jeffrey Clayton has been on the program before. He's going to join us again. Today is Jeffrey Clayton, who is the executive director of the American Bail Coalition, has been on the program before talking about this issue. And, Jeff, I think we both probably could have prognosticated this type of follow-up interview taking place several months after our initial conversation because, lo and behold, in their infinite wisdom, the new rules uh, that the Supreme Court handed down last year, uh, despite what the Supreme Court chief justice says, many people believe to have been in absolute failure. So here we are, uh, nearly a year later from the time that these rules were handed down, and uh, a large group of people are finally stepping up and screaming very loudly, we need to put an end to this right now. What's the latest? Yeah, I think you're right about that. I mean, we knew we were sort of on a collision course with reality. 82 legislators issued a letter to the Supreme Court uh, demanding that the rules be stopped and that we look into uh, other more reasonable reforms uh, on this issue. And you, as you said, it's been case after case after case where uh, folks are getting released and committing uh, crimes and judges just, just don't seem to have the discretion to do anything. And, you know, we in our news department, and I'm certain we are not the only ones across the state, uh, have, have I, I'm not ashamed to say, have placed a little bit of an added emphasis on some of our news stories and letting people know uh, this person was arrested a week ago, released on their own recognizance, and are now back in custody. When there have been repeat offenses like that, we have made it a point, because I think that's part of our diligence in our duty, to point out to people these people are loose because of the new rules. And I know that's been taking place across the state. Uh, there have been multiple headlines of these reoffenders and people who have been released, and the, the sheriffs from across the state refer to this now as the catch-and-release program. Yeah, absolutely, and that's what it is. And an interesting statistic that I'm sure is true in Missouri that is true in Michigan is that we found out 16% of all defendants cause 80% of the jail days, bed days. So it's exactly what you say. It's a low, small class of repeat offenders that we need to deal with. And the public just doesn't know anything about that. They don't follow that, and they don't know that this is his fifth fifth time in the last six weeks uh, that he's committed the same offense. What I think is interesting about this approach is that the lawmakers in Missouri who have signed on to this letter, uh, first and foremost, kudos to them for finally stepping up and doing something. Whether it will make progress or not, we'll, we'll discuss in a moment. But what I like about the letter is they're not saying, let's just go back to the old system. They're, say, they're, they're not opposed to some type of reform. They just want a lot of voices heard, a lot of different avenues of input with different perspectives, and they want things kind of slowed down and done with a common-sense approach. So they're not completely anti-reform. They're just stepping up and saying what, we've, what we're doing now is not going to work. That's right. They're also saying that we want a public and open process. I mean, the Supreme Court didn't talk to me as much as they didn't talk to the ACLU or any of the other interested groups. So it's more about putting a reset button, starting over, figuring out what works. The other thing that we know is that reforms do need to be made. I mean, a federal judge in St. Louis said the problem with the rules wasn't the rules. It was that the judges a lot of times didn't follow them. So there were improvements definitely that can be made in Missouri's bail system. So – what are your thoughts? Has there, First of all, has there been any type of response from the Supreme Court to the letter that was sent by the lawmakers about a week or so ago? And is this something that you anticipate will actually be effective, or do you think it will be ignored? Well, not that I've heard, and certainly I didn't send the letter, so they're, they're not going to be contacting me. Uh, what we do know is that Representative Hill has uh, introduced legislation to repeal the court rules. So uh, I think it's going to go on for a while. I don't know that 
there'll be a full repeal of the rules or maybe, you know, cooler heads will be prevailed and, um, you know, some other process or deal could be made. One question about this from a critical standpoint, and this is just my role of playing devil's advocate a little bit. Could one not make the argument that even though the intention is is well-intended and we understand what they're trying to do, could you not make the argument that the legislature is overstepping their bounds when it comes to separation of powers by essentially demanding that the Supreme Court undo a rule that they instituted? I don't think so. I mean, I think it's a courtesy to tell the rule to tell the Supreme Court that they should take another look at this before there's legislative action. And that's what the legislature is saying. The Constitution gives them the power to simply enact legislation to repeal rules. And really all they're saying is, you know, time the rules out and let's take another look at it and see if we can come up with a better rule uh, before the legislature has to go in and simply repeal the existing rule and start over. Jeff, when we talked about this before, we talked about the fact that it is something that is repeating itself in several states. And and I think the latest one that I've seen to begin the discussion is my home state of Ohio. But some states, if I'm not mistaken, and please correct me if I'm wrong, some states have have taken a different approach. It's not just been an arbitrary ruling from their Supreme Court. Some have reformed bail bond rules uh, through legislative processes, and some have done so through combinations of kind of what we're looking for here, uh, a multilateral conversation. Is that the case? That is the case. And generally, the states where one branch has acted without the cooperation of the other branch is where we've seen problems, Uh, whether it's New Mexico, the Supreme Court uh, going kind of crazy down there and doing a court rule that that had problems, uh, or legislators, legislatures like in New York passing legislation through the budget that nobody really knew what was going on and essentially releasing people like six-time bank robbers within 16 days. So, Generally, when the branches come together, we get a better solution. You know, I don't think many members of the general public disagree with what I believe to be the primary motivation behind this in that we don't believe people should be punished for not being able to to, to pay a, a bail or a bond. If someone is a low-level offender, they shouldn't be held behind bars uh, because they don't have access to pay a bond. But this whole entire process has spread far beyond that, and I think we've seen a ton of unintended consequences in terms of who's actually getting released because the rules are too restrictive and not clearly defined enough. I think that's right. And I mean, I think Ferguson played into the reason we did this in the first place, which supposedly was about traffic and low-level crimes, you know, continuing to harm people versus, you know, what we're seeing now, which is, you know, hardened criminals with serious records getting out uh, because they can't afford bail. So I think you're right. You know, their heart's in the right place. There's probably some progress to be made, but we've just gone a little bit too far. I talked about this on my show last week, and I mentioned that it's not uncommon to see pieces of legislation sent by lobbying groups and, and interest groups, and you'll see a piece of legislation pop up in one state, and then it's copycatted in 13 other states, the exact same bill. So we know who's behind those types of, of, of legislative processes. This is the first time I can remember seeing a judicial reform that is essentially being carbon copied from state to state, and I'm wondering – who initiated this uh, it, to where they're sending out the same piece of legislation and the courts are jumping aboard? Because it seems uncommon to me, in my experience at least, that courts are subject to this type of influence. That's true, and I represented the Colorado uh, Judicial Branch for five years, so I can tell you that we stayed away from uh, these special interest movements to try to infect the judiciary. What has happened was through the last part of the Obama administration with cooperation from George Soros and others is that 
They have infected the judiciary through the American Bar Association and other means to say that, you know, if somebody can't afford their bill, it's unconstitutional and we have to get rid of it. So uh, it's astounding, but it's happening. And I think, you know, we need to remember the separation of powers. You know, judges need to go down to court, decide some cases and not tell us what the law needs to be. In the other states where this has been problematic, are there also efforts to try to resend and redo? And have any of those been successful yet? Yeah, you've got a lot going right now. Certainly the one in Alaska where the bail reform package was almost completely rescinded. Uh, you've got a uh, rescind, rescind package going in Delaware. You've got talks of rescinding in New Hampshire, obviously making significant changes uh, in New York. And then other Supreme Courts just deciding not to do anything, like your home state of Ohio, saying, no, we're not going to go down this road right now. Uh, we're going to preserve judicial discretion and look at other reforms. I understand. I, I know someone who is a bail bondsman, and, and they certainly have every right to d- defend their livelihood. And this has an impact on their businesses, the way the rules are crafted in Missouri and some other states. But is it also not fair to point out that you know, a, a lot of these pieces of legislation uh, or these rule changes help other industries primarily? Uh, for instance, a company who provides uh, ankle bracelet monitoring systems, those are kind of maybe the only beneficiaries of a system like this. That's right. I mean, and we defend the right to bail, and whether there should be commercial bail or not is another is a side question, right? We think we're efficient, et cetera, but there should always be a right to bail. And you're right. We've seen in states like Indiana where, you know, the whole primary purpose of it is to, uh, you know, enrich another agency to put on ankle monitors, drug screening, supervision, all this sort of thing, um, that in many cases costs the defendant more money and is liberty-restricting more so uh, than if mom or dad were to post a bail for them. Are you optimistic uh, about the the movement for change here in Missouri? Or uh, it's not even fair to call it a request because they have flat out demanded something be done. Yeah, I'm optimistic that something's going to happen. I don't know what that's going to be, but I mean, I think there's enough outrage and concern that something's got to give, and I'm confident that the legislature is not going to go away empty-handed on this. In your opinion, and, and strictly an opinion question, and, and I preface that. This letter was sent on the same day that the Supreme Court justice who handed down the rule a year ago declared it to be essentially an overwhelming success. Is that short-sightedness? Is that ignorance of the issue? Or is that just pure arrogance? Pure arrogance on the, on the part of the Supreme Court or pure arrogance on the part of the legislature? Pure arrogance on the part of the Supreme Court to declare what an overwhelming success this has been when clearly I don't think you can find too many people who agree. Well, I got to tell you, I don't, I don't know what the judiciary was thinking. I mean, this has been in the papers. This has been an issue, and I think they need to have a better answer than it was working. So I don't know what their strategy was, but I can tell you, you know, it was a bad one. And they should have at least come forward with some kind of statistics or data or some information to demonstrate that, well, hey, maybe there isn't a problem or, or you know, to at least have some process to make some changes. But to declare that it's working, I think, you know, I don't know what the reason is, but it wasn't a good answer. Okay. And Mr. Clayton, final question for you. Last year, this was not the only thing to process through Missouri's system when it came to bail bonds and things of that nature. There was also legislation last year that said that uh, people who were inmates could no longer be jailed for failing to pay their jail bills. And that's something else that I think a lot of people probably agree with. Do you know of any other pieces of legislation that have been introduced yet this year, and I realize this is a broad question, that, that might deal with it or approach this issue as well? Some else we should keep our eye on in the legislature this year? We haven't seen any legislation yet. There's been some conversation between us and other interest groups talking about that issue, which is an important one. Uh, but it's different from bail, of course, but it does create a true debtor's prison type situation. So 
I wouldn't be surprised if we see some more of it. Um, but as of yet, we have seen uh, no bills on that topic. Jeffrey Clayton, Executive Director of the American Bail Coalition. Thank you, as always, for your time and your input, sir. It's greatly appreciated.